Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. fans welcome to another episode of Bulls HQ, a Chicago Bulls podcast on the Blue Wire Sports Podcasting Network. Thank you for joining me on this episode of the show, the first of 2020, and hopefully there's many more to come, but but who really knows? Hashtag WW3. But um, aside from all that geopolitical drama that is currently going on, more close to home, our Chicago Bulls, well, they continue to lose ball games, but at least they've been better at late and well, at least in my opinion, they have been better. I know the losses are still piling up, but they certainly have been better. And I want to talk more about that because despite losing to the Bucks, the Jazz and the Celtics yesterday, I do believe the Bulls have been playing better and have been improving. But I guess, is it too little too late? I want to talk about that. And here to help me do so is Jacob, aka Rusty Buckets, as you may know him on his NBA YouTube channel. And similarly on Twitter, at RustyBuckets321. Jacob, thanks for jumping on the show, mate. How's things? I'm a Bulls fan, so things are not well. <laughs> Very a positive start to the show, but uh, I completely understand how you feel, mates. It's it's been it's been a weird old season, really. I mean, we we came into it thinking things were be- going to be better, and I guess they are to a degree. But having said that, the Bulls are on a 29-30 win pace right now, which is not that much better than year one of the rebuild. So I I kind of understand why you would feel. Or not be feeling that high about the team right now. Uh, and I'm fair to say that you, I won't say you had lofty expectations coming into the season, but you, you were certainly expected something more than what would have been given. I expected the eighth seed. Uh, I had a I had a, a fantasy in my head where maybe there was a world where just everything clicked perfectly and this team was like a top offensive team and they were like a, like a sixth seed just because the East isn't that amazing. But... Uh, that's obviously not happening. Well, yeah, I mean, the sixth seed, probably not. But uh, this is the, this is the confusion of this season in, in the sense that the East is so bad. And even it's, it's, the East is even worse than what I expected it to be. I expected, or at least I was hoping for the Bulls to win 35 games this season, maybe be the 10th seed in the East. And, you know, because teams like the Magic and the Detroit Pistons, even though they're not good teams, I thought they'd still be hovering around 500 and... Because those teams have completely fallen off, you got the team, you got like the Hornets and the Magic fighting for the eight seed, despite being you know several games under five hundred. The, the Bulls are ten games under five hundred at this point, and there's still, I guess, mathematically a chance to make the playoffs. There's obviously still a lot of basketball to be played, but 
I don't know, like even if they were to get to 35 wins and, and to sneak in as an eighth seed, I, I don't know if that would feel enough for me given that East has been so bad. But I guess based on what I was expecting prior to the season, it, it, that logic doesn't marry up. But I, I guess because the, the East has changed or it is worse than what I thought it was and, and those variables have moved, I don't know. It, it just feels somewhat hollow if they were to win 35, 36 games and sneak into the playoffs. I don't know what the term is. I think it's like consolidation prize or something like that. It'd be like this year was a major disappointment, but you still made the eighth seed. Congrats, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I I, I don't know if that's a good thing to be honest with you because I, I see it from both sides. I know I've had people tell me that you know getting to the playoffs would be a good first step for a team in its third year of its rebuild, even if it would come at the expense of getting absolutely annihilated by Giannis at the box. People have told me that 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 would be a good thing for this team. But I don't know if that's true because getting absolutely destroyed in the playoffs and I don't know, maybe that actually hurts the psyche of the team going forward. I, I don't know. Obviously, that's dependent on the player and the individual player and what happens going forward. But yeah, it, it's a weird situation in the sense that I don't know if making the postseason is the is the right thing or not because obviously if you make the playoffs you lose out on, on a on a on a draft pick you you have zero chance of moving up in the draft which is I don't know the Bulls need an infusion of talent obviously so I, I don't know if m- making the postseason getting annihilated by the Bucks and having like the 16th pick in the NBA draft is a good situation in comparison to say winning 30 games maybe having the 10th or 11th worst record in the league and hopefully bouncing up from 10th to maybe you know fourth in the draft or something like that that would probably be a much better outcome for me but I don't know it seems like the fan base is a bit torn at the moment do you you sense that yeah uh it's I mean it's been what's happening for a while there's always been the tank versus the non-tank crowd I think this year the non-tank is the strongest it's ever been just because it seems like a much better roster than it has I mean it is a better roster than there's been in the past but a 35 win eighth seed versus the lottery when you put it like that it makes me feel more like the lottery is a better place to go just because like i said the eighth seed wouldn't really feel like an accomplishment i don't know how the players would feel about that because maybe they would view it as an accomplishment but my mindset is i have seen and i've felt with this team that uh this team has shown me kind of the consequences of tanking and I think it's been showing with this season with how much this team has given up at times that like when you tank for like two years players start to be okay with losing more than they would normally like the whole uh, rebuilding versus retooling conversation uh I don't know. I don't have any regrets about trading Jimmy Butler like a lot of Bulls fans seem to have. But I think if the Bulls tried to play be relatively competitive when they started this rebuild, I think this year would look a lot better. And I think with what our lottery luck was anyways, we'd still probably end up with uh, Wendell and Kobe. And I'm kind of iffy on that Kobe pick still. Yeah, I definitely want to talk about Kobe because that's one of the topics I think you and I are probably most closely aligned to. So I definitely want to come back to Kobe and uh, particularly because I want to talk about Jim Boylan's rotations a little bit later on and Kobe being a part of that conversation. But 
coming back to the current state of the Bulls, I mean, they have been better of late. I know they haven't registered the wins, but they have been playing some pretty damn good teams, but they have kept it pretty competitive. I mean, it's been the same same old story in the sense that it's that it's been five minutes of bad basketball that have ultimately cost them. But again, that's to be expected. We Even though we hoped the, this Bulls season would be a lot better than what it was, we didn't expect them to be a groundbreaking team at this point. But I mean... They have been better. I think they have been keeping it pretty pretty competitive against the Bucks, the Jazz, even even the Celtics yesterday. I know they they were down by twelve points in that third quarter run, but they did they did manage to sort of crawl that lead back. So I think they have been better against better competition. But the, the reality remains, they're only one in fourteen versus teams above five hundred. Eight of their thirteen wins have come against the Piston, the Damn, Pistons, the Hawks, and the Grizzlies. <laughs> so I mean, that's nothing to to write home about as such, but. Uh, and, and when you couple in the fact that the strength of schedule coming up is not going to get any easier, it, it's, it's hard to foresee this Bulls season being anything more than a 35-win team, I guess. So that, that's where I'm left just... I'm just wondering what the point of the rest of the season is, which is a bad... It's a bad place to be in, given that we've got more than half of the season to be, uh, left to play. The Bulls have gotten so many breaks in terms of like who they're matching up with like yesterday no Kemba Walker on the Celtics there's been so many times where we played teams and they were missing a player or two we played the Hawks uh two times without John Collins and the third time without Trey Young uh so many to start the year the schedule was insanely easy like in my opinion based off what the schedule was this team should have started off at like seven and four yeah. Like that's how easy the schedule was. And then like I think we had this discussion on Twitter earlier in the season where I was like, uh, yeah, the Bulls are still in a place where they can get the eighth seed, but losing these games early is gonna come back to bite them when they're at where they are right now, where they have a harder schedule and harder opponents to play, because those were the wins that you needed to get early, and now you don't have those wins to make up for the fact that you're losing some games now. Yeah, I, I 100% agree. I mean, they've played 36 games at this point. They're 13 and 23. So that's obviously not the record you'd want. And for them to be a 35 win team, like I had, like I had expected, based on how tough the schedule is through Jan through, through April, the Bulls really needed to be at a, an above 500 level in their first three months of the season to sort of counter, counterbalance or offset the schedule that was going to be coming up after January or into the into 2020 which we're obviously into now so to be at 13 and 23 instead of I don't know even 18 and 18 or maybe 20 and 16 if I've done the math correctly I mean that's where they still should be I know Otto Porter has been out and that has been a big issue for this team but I mean that's always bound to happen when you build a team that virtually has no wings on it but to your point your exact point this schedule has been a very easy schedule, even without Otto Porter Jr. The Bulls have cost themselves many games here with the way they've played. And yeah, they should still be at a 500 level right now because you can isolate four or five or six games where they've cost themselves wins because of just bad play, bad execution, six bad... Is probably a low estimate. There's yeah, been... probably. probably. How I'm, many I'm, ten... being ultimate, I'm being how... conservative on that. It could be more. How many 10-point leads has this team blown at this point? Like yeah. how many games have we had a 10-point lead and lost? I can't even... It seems like it's almost every game. It feels like, unless it's a really bad team. 
Like no, that's we, true. I mean, it they haven't close. been able to manage it, or hold leads for whatever it reason. It was close like, to 10 versus the Celtics at the start, I believe. But, I mean, at the yeah. start of the first quarter, I can excuse it because there's a whole lot of game to play after that. But there's times where we have like a 10, 15-point lead in the third quarter and then they lose the game. Yeah, it, it's it's odd. And I, I guess even though I suggest that the Bulls have been playing better of late, which I think they certainly have, and they've definitely been better on defense than what I expected, I still think oh, the scheme sure. is flawed. <laughs> I, I don't think it's sustainable like beyond this season or, or as these players mature and get more uh, get more miles on their legs sort of thing. I don't think it's the type of system you'll be having in place for years to come. That but jazz that- game definitely exposed that. Yeah, I mean, you just can't play that way against a, a rim roller like Rudy Gobert. I mean, that's going to kill you. But I guess the funny thing in all this is, and maybe I'm super biased in this situation, but the more the Bulls play in these sort of more competitive games and these narrow losses, the more, for me at least, the more it emphasizes the coaching gap that we see between the Bulls and whoever their opponent is. And it's no coincidence that they've been playing good teams and these good teams have good coaches. And there's been s- several instances in each game against the Bucks, against the Jazz, against the Celtics, where I feel like Jim Boylan has maybe exposed himself to a degree, which is a, what I want to move the conversation to. And I had some problems with his coaching, as I typically always do. I mean, listeners of Bulls HQ at this point are probably sick of me talking about Jim Boylan and his coaching, but... I did not like the fact that he was running an eight-man rotation against the Celtics yeah, in a game so, in January. He's like I mean, bipolar as a coach. Like one day he's like, "I'm going to play seven guards and one lineup." That's not possible. <laughs> you know what I mean? And then he's like, "I'm going to play Thaddeus Young at small forward now," and then <laughs> I'm yeah, going to run a 15-man rotation. Now I'm going to run an eight-man rotation. It doesn't bizarre. seem like he knows what he wants to do. Which I mean, you could say that about him in general, but. <laughs> It's odd because in November, he was telling us that after that Lakers loss, that his job here was to develop all 15 players, was to develop a bench. But now at the start of January, I mean, we've gone to just limiting the rotation to eight players and effectively killing any opportunity of developing the bench. Now, maybe some fans don't care about developing Denzel Valentine or Ryan Archidiakono or Chandler Hutchison, whoever it might be. I mean, they are limited players. They are bad players. I don't think Ryan should play, but Valentine definitely should. Yeah, I think that's probably the main one. He was your first round pick from from last season. Why isn't he playing? But it's just an odd situation where we're in January and the rotation is being limited to eight players. I mean, we just talked about how hard the schedule is coming up. Five of the next seven games for the Bulls are on the road. So choosing to run an eight-man rotation just before you're about to have a road trip is kind of stupid to me, as well as playing three players almost 40 minutes. I mean, Chris Dunn had 40 minutes yesterday. Uh, Sadoransky, I think, came closer to 40 minutes, and Zach Levine played 39. So they're playing heavy minutes. Wendell Carter Jr. played 36 minutes. Probably not the ideal thing to do before you're about to hit the road and and face Luka and the Mavs. That's so weird because to start the year, I was actually kind of annoyed with how few minutes Zach and Lowry were getting. Yeah. uh, Because, like, they were opening the year and they were averaging, like, 30 minutes each. And I'm like, this team is not good enough for your two best offensive players to be playing 30 minutes. Uh, I expected, like, you know, 36 for each of them. But now... I, I he didn't play marketing that long because he doesn't know what to do with Laurie marketing clearly. But <laughs> well, I wonder if that's why he went to an eight man rotation in the sense that maybe he could get minutes for Thad Young at small forward that way to keep Thad 
happy to a degree because he's obviously been uh, somewhat disappointed with his minutes. But I, I wonder if that was part of the ploy. But yeah, I mean, you, you raise a really good point in the sense that we've gone from one extreme to the other, which is typically the way Boylan operates, which is, you know, it is what it is. But I would like to be in that that, that happy medium kind of universe where instead of maybe playing Markin and Levine 30 minutes, the, the alternative isn't playing them 40 minutes. I mean, yeah. can we not settle in at 33, 34 minutes? Maybe manage the rotation a little bit better like that. Maybe play nine players instead of eight players. You know, instead of playing 10 minutes in a first quarter, maybe just roll with eight or nine guys. There is a balance which he, he just hasn't found. What annoys me about Jim Boylan is how common sense a lot of the mistakes that he makes are. Like I've said before, like you could take a fan out of the stands who just has a marginal understanding of basketball and I bet you they could make a better rotation than Jim Boylan because he makes so many things that are like obviously you don't play the entire bench unit for 10 straight minutes and then put your all your starters in and expect them to have the same uh, flow in the game that they had when they were playing 10 minutes ago. Like that's common sense stuff. Everyone knows that you don't do that. Like playing a full bench unit is something that I rarely even do in 2K. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, to that point, I mean, I had my issues with the eight-man rotation against the Celtics, but against the Jazz, I haven't spoken on the pod since I think the Bucks game maybe, but the the Jazz game, I thought that was an interesting microcosm of the, the difference between someone like Quinn Snyder and Jim Boylan in the sense that in the, at the start of the second unit, or the start of the second quarter rather, where both teams had their second units out there, the Bulls had already gone to an all-bench second unit, whereas Quinn Snyder has managed his rotations to the point where he had two starters on the floor, them being Joe Ingles and Donovan Mitchell. So how how is a Bulls bench meant to compete against a, a Jazz lineup that has Mitchell yeah, and seriously. Ingles in it? Obviously, especially, they're starters. Especially a bench that has almost zero offense. Yeah, other exactly. Other than Kobe I mean, White shooting 35%. I mean, maybe that's part of the why he went to an eight-man rotation against the Celtics to, to remove some of those you know, bad players from the rotation, so to speak. But I think you can still play someone like, I don't know, Archie Diakono or Valentine, maybe 10 minutes a game, but just influence their minutes to a degree when they're out there with some better players that make them look somewhat better too. So, I mean... Just the entire rotation issue, that that, that has been a problem, but yeah. I, I thought I'd mention it again because it sort of reared its head. Archie isn't too bad if he's like playing with Zach Levine, so he'll yeah. just be used as a spot-up shooter. But when it's, when it's like him, Kobe White, and Chris Dunn on the court at the same time, it's like, what are we even doing here? Yeah, that that, that is lunacy, but I mean, part of that is because the team just doesn't have... Uh, it's, it's the roster that's been handed to him to a degree as well. There's just no no reliable wings on this roster after Otto Porter which we always knew that was going to be a problem but I think I don't think uh Boylan's giving Denzel enough of a chance especially yeah. from what he's shown which is weird because he's he was out of the rotation for the first 20 odd games came back in played well sort of started to trail off lately but it appears now he's just gone uh, why yeah I don't <laughs> I only watched like half of the Celtics game but I don't think in the half that I watched I saw Valentine once and no, yeah. I love the def- the defensive impact that Chris Dunn is having, but I would like to see a lot of the starters with Denzel in at small forward and see how much improved that offense gets. Like having a guy that you can't leave open from three on the court rather than Chris Dunn, who everyone leaves open, would make a massive difference. And I think it would make the team an overall plus even with losing the defense of Chris Dunn. 
Yeah, I mean, it's it's. It, I don't know if, if that's a lineup that you start, but it's maybe a lineup that you throw out there just to get a bit of a look. Yeah. And again, going back to the Bucks and you know a Bud exposing Boylan again, he he pretty much took Chris Dunn out of the game, and there was no there was no way for Boylan to counter about to counteract that, and he basically just took Chris Dunn out of the game. We lost our best defensive player, took him out of the rotation completely because Boylan wasn't able to adjust and maybe put Dunn back out there in a lineup where he was surrounded by four shooters instead of being out there with Wendell Carter, who I think has shooting potential, but certainly hasn't shown that uh, just yet. So instead of just removing Chris Dunn and, and sort of, I guess, uh, playing into the hands of your your uh, your opponent rather than doing that maybe try to manage your rotations in game i know that's an adjustment but you have to do that and rather than just losing a, a key player or a valuable player who's been good this season just completely removing him from the rotation that that was uh not ideal either but i mean there's the rotational issues with jim boyle and there's obviously the timeout issues with jim boyle as well which again reared its head yesterday against the celtics for whatever reason he had one timeout remaining with nine minutes left in a close game in the fourth quarter. He had to blow his final timeout with four minutes left in the game because Larry Markinen unfortunately got hurt. Fair enough, you have to use the timeout that in that situation to. Well, you shouldn't you know, have had just time. one with four minutes left. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> That's the real issue. Why do you only have one with four minutes remaining when you only had you know one with uh, nine minutes remaining, whatever it was, sort of thing? So, I mean, timeout management again is plaguing the Bulls. So that was an interesting example where the the gap between Boylan and someone like Brad Stevens was was pretty much exposed in that game too. The thing that I think stands out about Boylan is like generally speaking with head coaching in the NBA, most head coaches other than like the top like five or six coaches, their main job is just to not hurt or negatively affect your team. Like just make sure that the talent on your team is playing at their level and that your coaching isn't affecting it negatively in any way. So basically yeah. a lot of coaches are just like, don't be a negative, just do your job. Yeah. But Boylan, I don't think I've seen any coach that like I can watch what's on the prot on the court and see how much of it is bad coaching. Like with Fred Hoidberg, you could see bad coaching, but I, I could never be like Every almost everything that's going on right now can be blamed on Fred Hoidberg. That's the difference. Because Jim Boylan, like I can look at most of the things wrong with the Bulls, I'm like, that's because of Jim Boylan. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think he's the primary reason why we're in the situation we are. And look, I don't want to just just completely blame him because he isn't the only one that deserves blame. The players deserve some themselves. Obviously, Lowry was pretty bad the first two months of the season. But I also think at least a percentage of that is on Boylan because he doesn't know how to run plays for him. He doesn't know how to use him, which is weird because he was the guy who was coaching us last February when when Lowry was playing great and the Bulls were playing great. Like, go back to what you were doing in February – uh add this I, I think this defensive scheme might be a little gimmicky but i'm fine with it for this year maybe it's not a long-term option but just being a really good defensive team and then you know run what you were doing i understand auto was a big part of that but run what they were doing in february just go back to that why are you not doing that <laughs> yeah, he seems I mean, to be wanting to use marketing as just a spot-up guy and it's infuriating yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, part of that, I think, is on Fleming in the sense that their offense, well, I'd say their, in terms of Brooklyn Nets, their offense was basically four out or five out, have a pick and roll action, have that on-ball guy do most of the work and just have the ball spread around that player. And obviously, there's a lot more to it. There's a lot more crisper ball movement when the ball's meant to move around the perimeter that it's meant to open up the three-point shot. And I dare say the Nets last season had... Uh, a higher IQ players than the Bulls currently have. I don't think there's yeah, natural true. or instinctive playmakers or creators on this team or uh, even passes as such. So I think that is definitely a problem. But yeah, having Larry just spot up, I understand the the temptation of doing that given how good he is as a shooter. But he, he has to be more on this Bulls offense than what they've come all that sure that he's that great of a shooter at this point. It's well, been, I mean, the numbers don't suggest it. I mean, he's been career a career average shooter. but Yeah, yeah. two seasons of like league average and like, five or six attempts which is good but it's not like like i was expecting marketing to be one of the best shooting big men ever and he's not really gotten any better since his rookie year which is kind of depressing no which is yeah it's odd it's odd but i mean he has been better in december and in yeah, january but 40 percent, i believe in december yeah so that that is definitely encouraging but i guess the the rebounding numbers and even his points per game numbers that they're, they're basically at his career numbers so they're not it's not exceeding expectations or he's barely meeting expectations at the moment, which is disappointing. I know he's been better and he's been improved and I know that's trending upwards, but it's still not good. He's shooting like 41% as a seven footer. Even if you're a, a jump shooting seven footer, that's still not good. Uh, I expected him to average like 20, but improve his efficiency. Yeah. And now he's averaging 15 on worse efficiency when he was averaging yeah. 19 last year. Yeah, I was I was hopeful for nineteen and nine with you know above league average true shooting percentage and, and getting that three point sh- shot closer to forty percent, if not forty percent. But to your point, those things aren't happening. But obviously, Larry got hurt in this Celtics game. It looked pretty bad. I it I don't. I'm assuming he's playing against the Mavs. I haven't heard any news to the otherwise at this point. But, I've heard um, it's up in the air, but likely. yeah. I mean, it seems like every other game he's been questionable lately. I mean, he has had an illness over the last few games, but this is obviously a different situation. So hopefully his good play that he was building upon in December and into January just doesn't evaporate now, given that he's obviously going to be carrying at least some sort of leg injury, whether it's the ankle or something else. He's clearly going to be hobbled. So hopefully that doesn't prove to be too much of an issue. I guess it maybe is somewhat easier in the sense that he doesn't have to match up with Porzingis, who is out against... Or is he's out for the Mavs against the Bulls, so oh, wow. that Look is, I guess, a positive break. But... I bet they're going to lose still. <laughs> yeah. And Tim Hardaway, Tim Hardaway Jr. is also not playing. Oh, at least he's questionable in this game. So Mavs are down two starters. So we'll see if the Bulls can get it done on the road. But yeah, hopefully Larry doesn't miss time. But in the situation that he does miss time, whether it's a week, whether it's three weeks, whatever the situation is, do you think that sort of kills off any? any of those rumored uh, Thad Young trade talks that were circulating last week? I don't have a strong opinion one way or the other about Thad Young, but if, I mean, maybe it slows it down so we can get through until Markkanen's back. But yeah, what I do think would be interesting is if Markkanen sits, that probably means that Hutch gets time at the four, which yeah. I've wanted to see because I think he could be really effective as a, because uh, he's a decent decent enough playmaker. Uh, like if he had plays where he was uh, in a pick and roll, gets the ball and like makes a pass off of the roll, I think he could do well in that situation. And I'd like to see him play some four, but of course, Boylan's not creative enough for that unless someone gets injured and he has to be. 
Yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll see what happens with Archibald. That, that's another weird thing yesterday. I mean, he was active. He was back from his injury. He played for the Windy City Bulls the day before, so maybe that's why they didn't play him. But uh, I, I don't know. If, if you have a, a team that's completely wing depleted, wouldn't you want to have your lone small forward that you would actually probably have in your rotation, given it doesn't seem like Boylan likes playing Denzel? Wouldn't you want to at least have him come in and play five, ten minutes in his return game back, given that he is fit and healthy and available the problem here mark is that you're trying to use logic and jim doesn't know what that is i I suppose so (laughs) but uh, maybe maybe that's the uh the flaw in the situation but it it is an odd one but uh i would have thought against a team like the celtics rather than going big and losing three bigs maybe you would play hutchinson for five or ten minutes so he could guard jalen brown or or jason tatum (laughs) or something like that but i don't know boylan thought it was a good idea to to throw uh thad young uh, a power forward on onto those players who hasn't played small forward for over 10 years almost so yeah it's, it's an odd one i've even heard conspiracies that like boylan is trying to get fired because if he resigns, he doesn't get his contract money. <laughs> no, I don't, I don't believe that at all. I, I don't either, he... but it is funny that it's like he's that bad that people are like, is he <laughs> trying to lose his job? Because it seems like he's trying to lose his job. Maybe in that sense, but at the same time, the way he blows smoke up the uh, up management's ass and ownership's ass, he yeah, would, that's true. I think he wants a job that's for true. life with the Chicago Bulls. So that, that's my counter to that one, but... I mean, yeah, it's it's just an odd situation. It sucks that we're talking about this stuff into 2020, but it doesn't seem like it's going to be changing anytime soon. But let's move on to something a little bit more positive. And I want to talk about Zach Levine. And it's been an interesting year for Zach because I think the first 15 to 20 games of the season weren't what we were expecting, particularly when uh, many people thought he could potentially be an all-star. I certainly bought into the hype that this might be his all-star yeah, year. Yeah, and it was but... annoying that he talked all that crap about defense, and then after like game four, he was like, I, I had fun with this. I'm done now. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, he has been better over the last 20 games, and maybe not so much on the defensive end, but from an offensive standpoint, he has been very good, and he had 35 against the Celtics. The Celtics are a really good defensive team in terms of their perimeter options. They can throw Marcus Smart, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, they're all good defenders and Zach still had 35 against those guys. One thing that I really uh, noticed with uh, with the Celtics, and this has nothing to do with the Bulls, but Jason Tatum, I think yeah. he's taken another step yep. as a defensive player because he was impressing me yeah, a for lot sure. in that game. So the Celtics oh, definitely I mean, have a good defense. The, the defensive options they have on the perimeter is, is insane, really. I mean, you, you throw smart Tatum and... Um, and Brown on them, and you, you could rotate those guys onto someone like Levine. It, it, I mean, that's tough for any perimeter player, but the fact that Zach was able to have 35, he got to the line 14 times. I mean, that is super impressive. And it, it's just an interesting conversation that surrounds Jack, uh, Zach Levine. I mean, maybe not a conversation, but more so the narrative in the sense that I'm kind of over-talking about it, but it still exists in the sense that people are still out on Zach Levine to a degree which I don't agree with. I mean... I, I don't get what he needs to do at this point for people to just accept that he is who he is. He's probably miscast in a role that he's not meant to be. At least that's my opinion. But that doesn't mean he can't or that doesn't preclude him from being a positive player down the road. It's just the situation with the Bulls where he is often the, the, the only guy that can create a shot on this team. I mean, it's not ideal for Levine. It's not obviously not ideal for the team, but it's, it's just a weird situation. The thing that confuses me about that the most is that... Uh, he he gets criticized, but then Devin Booker gets praised. Now, I don't think that Zach is a better or even on-par player with Devin Booker, but I think they're both 
relatively similar players in similar situations and both are losing games but then Zach gets crapped on and then Devin Booker gets all this praise in the world I mean there are some people who criticize him for it obviously but in terms of just like saying if you just say to an average NBA fan a player's name you say Zach Levine you'll get some idiots who say just a dunker which is absurd and then they'll also be like where's the wins but then you say Devin Booker and they're like oh he's the next Kobe (laughs) I find that ridiculous well, I think the funny thing about that is that Devin Booker had the same sort of negative connotation that Zach still has, but that's probably slowly eroded this season, given that the Suns, even though the Suns have a losing record right now, they have been better. He's certainly been better. I mean, his advanced numbers have definitely been better than what they have been in the past, where he was, like Levine, a net negative player. But I, I, I just there's so much context that goes missing in that that bothers me. Zach, I believe he's close to leading the team in plus minus because this is this is the first year that he's had a positive one for his career uh i'm not 100 not sure yeah, i got that. a basketball I'd have, I'd have reference to... pulled up so i can look at it yeah in terms of i mean for for a good chunk of this season he was a net negative in terms of uh you know per 100 possessions and those sorts of things but if you isolate like the last 15 to 20 games he's certainly been better but I, i've always just come back to that being all about um, the the rotations that he's playing in and, and the fact that yeah, he's true. often out there with some really bad players and, and he's often the one that isn't playing or he's often coming in in that second unit and having to support that second unit offensively and being surrounded by some limited players to the point where, of course, that's going to impact your numbers. That's what so, I find I don't know. It's, it's, most it's... annoying because it's like, what team has Zach been on this year that was supposed to be a playoff team or even close to that? Other than maybe this year, but... There's been a lot of factors outside of his control that have influenced them not being that. And by the way, he is second behind Daniel Gafford, who I campaigned for so long to get minutes in plus minus over Luke yeah. Cornett, that man. Not a fan. <laughs> well, I mean, that, that was an interesting situation in itself. But, I mean, the last 15 or so games, Zach is a plus four nine in terms of net rating yeah. um, when he's on the floor. So he's, he's a plus four nine. So that is pretty dang good. And he was for a good chunk of the, the first 15 or 20 games of the season, he was a negative and that's not surprising given how bad the Bulls were and and um, and how bad they've been in years past. I mean, were people really surprised that Zach Levine was a negative last season on that Bulls team that won 22 games and was sort of rolling Jabari and a whole bunch of other bad players out there um, for a good chunk of the season? Like, that context bothers me. But, it's like, um, do you really think if the Bulls removed Zach Levine, they were going to be a better team last year? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, I, I just don't understand that logic. But I, I guess the reason why I wanted to talk about Levine is I, I can't help myself but look at Levine now and, and the strides that he's made on offense and just think he is really that perfect second option for a really good star player. But he's just in a situation where he's miscast on the balls. He's he's having to, or at least in my opinion, maybe you disagree, he's having to be that number one option and having to be that lead creator, something I don't think he is. But I, I just, it, it just bothers me that that's what he's being cast in, that his perception is being, I guess, dictated by that and that his whole conversation is dictated by that we talked about this on twitter and i it's it's a weird situation with levine because i think offensively his scoring ability is good enough to be the best player best scorer on a championship team because i think there's like maybe 10 10 12 players in the league who are better scorers than zach levine but actually uh being 
the best player is two different conversations. He definitely is not best player level because his all-around game is pretty weak. Uh, yeah. But rarely, at the same time, rarely on championship teams is the best player not also the best scorer. Uh, so it's kind of a weird situation to be in. So yeah, he probably would just by default end up as a second option. Uh, but I think scoring wise, his offensive talent is good enough to be the best scorer, just not best player. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think that's certainly fair, which is, I mean, look, you articulated that often when you are the best scorer on a team, you are, you know, miles in front of the guys behind you to the point where, you probably end up having that de facto role as that lead creator, which is obviously the situation the Bulls find themselves in now. And they're partly to blame for this in the sense that they haven't necessarily supported with Levine with another perimeter player who can maybe take the ball out of his hands to justify him giving up the ball a bit. But yeah, it's, it's it just help this, it's a weird situation. Sato was a better creator because he really is like built for this like secondary guard role. I, I think Sadoransky's doing his job. What, oh, what yeah, they really is, need is a wing creator. He that's that's fair as well. But he is he is, but he's also not. I don't think he's the most ideal point guard next to Levine, because Sato is not a great great ball handler. He gets the job yeah. done, but I think if we had a guy who was a good playmaker. Like, I think a Ricky Rubio type of guy next to him would have been perfect, even taking the shooting hit. That would have helped Levine a lot. Yeah, and I mean, looping this back to Devin Booker, I don't think it's a surprise that Booker is playing more off-ball, doing a lot more of his work off-cuts and, and, and moving off-ball in, almost in a Clay Thompson role in some situations, not all the time and not to that degree, but I don't think it's a surprise. As of late, Zach has been doing yeah. that more, at least from what the eye test has told me. I don't know. No, what he certainly has are, been doing that more lately. I mean, he's been playing more. That the... Charlotte game, a big part yes. of the reason he went off because he was getting so many off ball. Yeah, maybe players. through quarters one to three, that's the case, but maybe the fourth quarter it changes. But I don't <laughs> even blame Levine so much for it. the offense delving into him being the, the main show in the fourth quarter because, I mean, what what more do you really want him to do out there? Yeah, like, who do you want to create off the ball? the offense is shitty anyway. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they just don't have many options off the bounce that can, that can create. And I guess that's where I want to move to the discussion of Kobe White because I think a lot of people... Well, I do. I do want to sure, say one more sure. thing. If I can say one positive thing about a change that Jim Boylan has made, and it's hard for me to say nice things about the man, but the one thing that's been positive that he's made with Zach Levine is having him shoot more three pointers and less mid range yeah. shots. The whole that whole fake story came out about him complaining about the mid range shots, but like Zach is never that efficient at the mid range shots, like shooting in the thirties. This year, 40% from three on eight attempts rather than 37 on five last year. It's just, it's made him a much uh, better score, I think. I, I prefer that change, definitely. Yeah. But other than that, screw you. No, no. But we can talk about Kobe I, White I completely, now. completely agree. <laughs> I mean, shout out to uh, Joe Cowley if he's listening, which he's probably not. But um, yeah, I want to talk about Kobe White because a lot of people view him as that option next to Levine or that that guy that can sort of take pressure off Zach Levine in terms of creation and he's someone who should be playing more minutes and I completely disagree with this I think I don't think Kobe White has been good this year and I I understand why some people do think he has been good he's certainly having he certainly had some pretty impressive moments but for the most part I think he's been bad this year which is a take 
most people don't like hearing about the new face on the team, which I get. But he, he has been bad this year. Yeah, and that continued has. yesterday against the Celtics. And I guess that's another reason why an eight-man rotation is something that the Bulls probably shouldn't do given that when you go to an eight-man rotation, two of those players who will be playing are rookies in terms of Kobe White and Daniel Gafford. And I'm not going to hold it against them if they have games where they struggle. I mean, that's what you would expect from rookies, and particularly like Kobe White. He's 19 years of age, but you're just putting more pressure on them by shortening your rotation. But I think you're putting even more pressure on a guy like Kobe White to the point where you're asking him to carry your second unit. You're asking him to be maybe that next that, that creator that the Bulls need to Zach Levine. So I don't know. What are your thoughts on the whole Kobe situation? Do you think he has been miscast in a role too great for him as well? And do you think that's changing or shaping the perception of him? I don't know how critical... I can never tell how critical I want to be of Kobe because I don't know how much of it is his fault. Because I know Jim Boylan is like telling him like, hey, go out there and shoot like fucking crazy and he's been doing that uh he is very frustrating to watch and it's even more frustrating to watch bulls fans praise him constantly like i'm so i don't know how there are still people on the start kobe white train because i think it's pretty damn clear that thomas sadaransky is has and is better has been and is better than kobe white like i think that's kind of obvious uh both ends of the court there uh, at least for the role that he's filling. But Kobe, I mean, he's shooting 36% from the field. I think it's pretty obvious that he's been miscast. I think what annoys me the most about him is the mid-range jump shots. Uh, and I'm very much a pro mid-range guy, but he takes way too many of them. He takes way too many com- contested ones. He settles for them way too often. I think he should be a spot-up guy who, when he has the ball in his hands, is trying to get to the basket because I don't know what the stats are, but when I watch him attack the basket, it tends to result in good things, at least from what I've seen. But he often starts driving, and then he stops on a dime and fades from mid-range with the defender on him. And it's like, why did you do that? Yeah, no, I think I, think I completely agree with that. I mean, yeah, and I guess... Look, the theme of the podcast has definitely been bashing Boylan, which is not too uh, dissimilar to what every other podcast is on Bulls HQ. But I think another criticism of Boylan has been that he's probably allowed Kobe White to do too much too quickly to the point where I wonder if bad habits are being formed. But I completely agree. It's weird that a rookie has such a short leash. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's, he's able to just go out there and just do what he wants, basically. I mean, rarely is he pulled back. Yeah, it was two of eight yesterday, so he didn't have a crazy amount of attempts. But some of the attempts that he does take, the the ball pounding, uh, the looks that he does get, the fact that he just drives in with a uh, reckless abandon to the rim and just, just gets blocked pretty pretty quickly and pretty often. I mean, it's not a situation that you want to be putting your rookie in. And again, I don't blame White specifically just for that or at least completely because i mean that's his natural tendency but as coach you should be trying to maybe manipulate that out of his game and maybe try to coach him up on a certain other aspects of his game and uh, look the bulls drafted him to be a point guard and i don't think we've really seen any real point guard play from kobe white at this point he's more of a combo guard at this at this point to the point where i'm wondering if there's gonna have to be a decision and down the line between him and levine in terms of who is the you know the t- the two guard long term? As far as I'm concerned, that's an easy decision. Yeah. Unless Kobe starts yeah. really changing things, like my logic is, and I've had this logic with this Bulls team for a while. Like I think that this team could be like the 2015 Atlanta Hawks, where 
if given the right circumstance with the offense that they have and some of the defenders that they have, they could be a really good team down the line, like two, three years from now, but they're not going to be a contender. Cause I just don't see the best player on a championship team here. Uh, but then they take some of their young assets and they trade that for one of those guys and they still have the foundation of that good team, but then they have someone like potentially Carl Anthony Towns, for example. And I think I would just like, I just want, I think Kobe's just, I don't like Kobe White basically <laughs> in the long term of this team just because I don't think he's going to fit well with Zach Levine. I think he's always going to be forced to be the six man type of guy. Uh, so I would like a world where he's just traded for as an asset for a superstar level player down the line, but I'm not sure. No, I think that's it's a, obviously there's a lot to play out for that before that happens, but I think that's kind of where my head is at as well. Like I, I'm forecasting ahead. If people are asking me to make a prediction, I think at some point the Bulls will need to make a decision between Levine and White because I don't think it's a situation where you could play both together. But obviously we're uh, forecasting way down the line. But yeah, it's just a weird situation where I think Kobe is being coached at a disservice at the moment. And I'm just wondering how much that's impacting his game and his and his numbers. I mean, you, you see someone like Tyler Hero in, uh, in Miami who's just being given a, a set role, a limited role, and, and he just goes in there and does that that role itself where someone like Kobe is just basically giving free reign. And I, I think that's impacting him negatively at this point. But um, it doesn't even really seem like they run plays for him, which I think is the biggest problem. It seems like he's just given the ball or just like, hopefully you get open on the perimeter. Yeah. One of those two, they were given the ball and like make something happen or hope they leave you open. Like it doesn't, I never see Kobe coming off of screens or uh, a couple screeners ready to give him a pick yeah. when he gets the ball yeah it's it, it is he's, he's he's dominating the ball and he, he's the lead creator of that second unit i i guess which is it's a heavy role it's a big role i know some people think it's a it is a limited role but it's quite an important role that kobe has at the moment but um i think it's probably a role that's too big for him at the moment but look that's all i have for today mate i appreciated you coming on and helping me vent about the current state of the Bulls. Like I said, even though they have improved, I, I just can't help but feel that they've left it maybe too late and they've left too many wins on the board to the point where it's going to impact them late. And I just can't get past that logic, I suppose. I tweeted the other day that I can't do this anymore. So I'm right there with you. <laughs> well, look, hopefully they play better. And, you know, I'm, I'm still hoping for some lottery luck. I'm not necessarily advocating for a tank, but maybe they can get some um, some luck in the same way that the Pelicans and Lakers did last season where they were the 10th or 11th oh. worst team and jumped up into the top four. That's basically my best, best case scenario at this point. Oh, yeah. One thing I did mean to say for that section and I forgot is like personally, I can't root for losses anymore. I just don't have the mental capacity because after two years of that i can't yeah. do it anymore but that's yeah that's my no that's, piece, that's fair I enough I, I i certainly agree with that too but uh look thank you for coming on to the show your first time appearance on bulls hq before you leave i'll get you to plug your stuff people probably know where to find you anyway but nonetheless uh let people know where they can jump onto your youtube your twitter whatever else you want to plug yeah happy for you to do so uh go check out my youtube channel it's rusty buckets i talk about the bulls sometimes i talk about the nba in general uh, i have a podcast called the hoops cast uh where me and my uh co-host mojo who's another nba youtuber talk basketball 
And then on Twitter, I post Baby Yoda memes. <laughs> so at Rusty Buckets three two one. I mean, everyone's here for the Baby Yoda stuff. He, he, he's an absolute legend, that kid. But uh, mate, I appreciate you for coming on. Thank you for doing it. We'll uh, we'll do it again uh, some, some some time down the road. All right, thanks. Perfect. Well, that's just about does it for this episode of Bulls HQ. Bulls fans, thank you for tuning into this one. Hopefully, we'll be back later in this week, but we'll see how everything sort of plays out with my schedule. But as I mentioned, Bulls hitting the road now, five of their next seven games against some good teams on the road. So we'll see how the next sort of two weeks transpire. But until then, this has been Bulls HQ. We'll be back very soon to keep you updated on all things Bulls. Thank you for tuning in. Speak soon, Bulls fans. Rose Davis, historian and co-host of the sports podcast, Burn It All Down. And now I'm hosting the new season of American Prodigy, all about Black girls in gymnastics. For the last 40 years, Black gymnasts have moved from the margins to the core of the sport and changed gymnastics along the way. Now, they tell their stories. You'll meet trailblazers like Diane Durham, superstars like Jordan Childs, and everyone in between. Listen to American Prodigies on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.